Hello and welcome to Connect Points podcast and sermon archives. If you'd like to learn more about our church, please go online to our website at connectpointupc.com or follow us on our Facebook page. Thank you very much and I hope you enjoy this week's message. God bless. The presence of the Lord and to call you guys a church family is a blessing. So, if we would turn in our Bibles, I have two scriptures that I'm going to open with. The first is John 7, verse 38, and the second is Psalm 69, 1 through 2. And I'll give you guys a second to turn there. All right, if you're not there, there it is up on the screen. So, John 7, verse 38 says, He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said... Out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. And in Psalm verse 69, verse 1 through 2, it says, Save me, O God, for the waters are come into my soul. I sink in deep mire where there is no standing. I am come into deep waters where the floods overflow me. Tonight I would like to talk on the topic, living in the overflow. Turn to a few people and shake their hand before we get started here tonight. Amen. All right, so overflow. Tonight I'm going to use overflow a lot, and just because I didn't put it in my notes, I'm just going to explain to you guys what I mean when I reference overflow. Tonight when I reference overflow, I'm going to be using it as a spiritual example of as when we tap into the spiritual realm, it's not just something when we, we get filled up and we're like halfway. It's when we get filled up all the way and even more so we start to overflow. We, we start to spill it out upon us. It, we can't contain it anymore. The power of God is it's so powerful that we cannot control it or contain it. So many of us know when we get into the overflow, the enemy tempts us. They like to use their tactics um, I know at senior camp, how many of you guys went to senior camp? Everybody like over here pretty much went to senior camp. So examples of how we can reach this overflow would be going to senior camp and, and pouring ourselves out on the altar and we get filled up so much that we overflow. It would be for this church, an example would be revivals. Every time we have a revival, we try and push so we can get into that spiritual realm of overflowing. But when we get into that realm and that spiritual um, sort of environment, things start to happen and the enemy takes notice, right? So when we come into the spiritual realm of that, we see the enemy likes to, as soon as we can tap into it, he likes to distract us. He likes to throw things our way so that we can get off track and off course. That might be as why when after we have a revival, the Monday morning you wake up, you get a text from a coworker saying all these negative things. You receive some bad news from the doctors or the bank accounts aren't looking like the way you want them to look. The enemy will do whatever they can to distract us and get us out of the overflow. As we see in the second passage, Psalm 69, verse 1 through 2, I'll read it um, one more time. It says, Save me, O God, for the waters are coming unto my soul. I sink in deep mire where there is no standing, and I am come into deep waters where the floods overflow me. This passage, it, it shows us that all overflow is not good. There can be a negative side to overflow. In Jeremiah 47, verse 2, it says, Thus saith the Lord, Behold, waters rise up out of the north, 
and shall be an overflowing flood and shall overflow the land and all that is therein. Basically, everything that's there is going to be destroyed by this flood. The city and them that dwell therein, then the men shall cry and all the inhabitants of the land shall howl. So we have seen Yellowstone National Park. It was created in 1872 on the heels of the Civil War. It was labeled and created one of America's best ideas. I mean, I guess you could label it that after having one of the worst wars in history ever. It, is, it was labeled that after the Civil War. But during this past year, it was the 150th anniversary. Yellowstone recorded major flooding. Cam Shawley is the superintendent of this Yellowstone National Park, and he said this to AP News, and I'm quoting now. He says, I don't think it's going to be smart to invest potentially tens of millions of dollars into repairing a road that may be subject to seeing a similar flooding event in the future. Potential costs to rebuild this park is over millions and potentially could reach up to $1 billion. And this is not the first time historic flooding has destroyed national parks across the U.S. Mount Rainier in Washington State was closed for six months with damages adding up to $36 million. Yosemite Valley and Yosemite National Park suffered their worst flooding 25 years ago. And once the dust settled, damages reached up to $178 million and Congress had to step in and additional funding was reached $250 million. These are all perfect examples of negative overflow. Overflow can either greatly help us or greatly destroy us. So let's look at the ways now that it can help us. In Joshua 3, 15 through 17, I'm going to dig into the word tonight. Is that all right with you guys? All right, Joshua 3, verse 15 through 17, it states, And as they that bear the ark were come unto Jordan, and the feet of the priests that bear the ark were dipped into the brim of the water, for Jordan overfloweth all his banks at all the time of harvest. That the waters which came down from above stood and rose upon a heap very far from the city of Adam, that is beside Zeratin, and those that came down toward the sea of the plain, even the salt sea, failed and were cut off. And the people passed over right against Jericho. And verse 17, And the priests that bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the midst of Jordan, and all the Israelites passed over on dry ground until all people, everybody say all people, until all the people were passed clean over Jordan. If we can put verse 15 back up, please. I'm going to break this passage down a little bit for us tonight. In verse 15, it states, And as they that bear the ark were coming to Jordan, we read that, and the feet of the priests that bear the ark were dipped in the brim of the water. I want to stop there and say, if we, we notice that the priests and the leaders are going first into Jordan, if we want to tap into this overflow, we ourselves have to lead good lives, and we have to lead them well. We cannot always rely, and I'm not dissing anybody, but we cannot always rely on the pastoral committee to be there every morning, wake us up at 6 a.m. and tell us to pray and read our Bible. We cannot rely on pastor to make us do that because it is our choice, it is our decision if we want to tap into the overflow. The second part of the verse shows us, shows us the bank of the Jordan were overflowed. This is because, much like the case in the Yosemite National Park flood, the river at the base is at the base of Mount Lebanon. This river of Jordan is at the base of Mount Lebanon. So during the winter months, the river is low because um, as, as 
just how it works. Like when it's cold, the winter snow freezes. And so up on the mountain, the snow got cold and it froze. But when the summer months come, all of the snow that's on top of the mountain flowed down into the river. So I took a really long time explaining a really simple fact. But anyway, so this summer months, otherwise known as harvest time, is what we read in um, verse 15. The sun melts the snow and the river cannot handle all the water, so there it overflows. Sometimes it feels like we are all living in these winter months where there is no help and there's no spiritual revival, but all we have to do is tap into the light or the summer months, so to speak. We have to tap into daily prayer and tap into daily reading of the word and we have to tap into fasting. Because when we tap into that stream, the waters will start to change. And pretty soon, we can be living in the overflow of what God has intended for us. So now I go to verse 16. That the waters which came down from above stood and rose upon a heap very far from the city Adam, that is beside Zeratin. And those that came down toward the sea of the plain, even the salt sea failed and were cut off. And the people passed right against Jericho. So the waters coming down still are referring to Mount Lebanon when the waters flowed from the mountain into the river. But the next part is what shocks me. It says the waters rose upon a heap. This means that the water coming down from the mountain stood up. It made like a blockade or a wall of water so that the water coming down from the mountain stopped. And now I can only imagine it being the summer and the harvest time that the waters flowing were not little streams, but they were probably um, very big gushes of water. So that being said, the wall was probably very big, and even um, commentaries state that the water was arching above their heads, and it was very, very tall. So the water on this side, I don't really know which side they crossed on, but we'll just say this side. So this side, the waters were very tall, and on the left side, the waters continued to flow even into the Dead Sea. So With this being said, that means that there is now a channel of dry land from one here and then all the way to the Dead Sea. That is approximately 16 to 18 miles wide, allowing a mass of people such as the Israelites to cross rather quickly. Lastly, for this passage, verse 17, it states, And the priests that bear the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. And all the Israelites passed over on dry ground until all the people were passed clean over Jordan. I want to highlight what Pastor said on Sunday. Unlike the story of, of those Israelites who were, they, they took the ark as something that was going to save them no matter what without having a relationship with God. Unlike that story, the Joshua of this story and the Israelites of this story knew who God was. They had a relationship with God. So they understood that it was not the ark that was making the waters stand still. It was the Lord God Almighty making the waters stand still. And this passage doesn't need much more breaking down. The Israelites crossed on dry land until every single person was across. You see, when we live in the overflow, miracles begin to happen. In this story, the overflow was the setup for the miracle. I I found this rather interesting when I thought about it. I don't think it was me, honestly. I think it was God who was like, yo, listen, this this needs to be said. The overflow was the setup for the miracle. So when we dwell in the overflow, we set ourselves up for the supernatural to happen. 
We can tap into the Spirit easier when we dwell in a constant place of refreshing and communication with God. It's, it's kind of like a real-world example would be like if I talk to my mom. Okay, here's a good example. When I talk to my mom every day before I left for Bible college, I lived in her house. I saw her every day. So I therefore knew everything that was going on, and I could communicate with her easily. When I left for Bible college, I had to call her, and it was probably once a week, twice a week. No? Okay. It was sometime a week. Whatever. So we... (laughs) I'm going to get in trouble for that later. Anyway, the real-world example is that when I lived with my mom and my dad, I could communicate with them every day, and I would be able to know what they were dealing with. So when we dwell with God, we can communicate with him every day, and he knows and understands what we're dealing with, which is why when they were dwelling in the place of overflow, when they were dwelling in covenant relationship with God, they saw miracles happen. Because they cannot just rely on a piece of furniture, like Pastor said on Sunday, to be their, their miracle worker. They can't rely on a chair to split the Red Sea and the Jordan rivers. They can't. You have to have covenant relationship. Now let's look at Joel 2.24. Uh, Joel 2.21-24. through Sorry about that. Brother Brom probably gave him a heart attack. Joel 2.21 says, Fear not, O land. Be glad and rejoice, for the Lord will do great things. Be not afraid, ye beasts of the field, for the pastures of the wilderness do spring, for the tree beareth her fruit, the fig tree and the vine do yield their strength. Be glad then, ye children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he hath given you the former rain moderately, and he will cause to come down for you the rain, the former rain, and the latter rain in the first month. And I want to highlight this scripture, Verse 24, and the floors shall be full of wheat, and the vats shall overflow with wine and oil. So, the verses before this whole passage that I just read, Joel is prophesying and begging the people to come back to a place of repentance with God. He understood what we just talked about, that without covenant we can't see miracles happen. He boldly proclaims after they repent, that they will see the things that I have just read. They will see that the, the, the former and the latter rain come down, and they will see floors full of wheat and vats overflow with wine and oil. And to be honest with you, I'm going to break this down because when I read it, I assumed it meant something completely different. But when Joel 2.24 says, and the floors shall be full of wheat, and the vats shall overflow with wine and oil, I assumed Joel was talking about in the time food and drink, that he would bless the people with food and with drink forever. They would never have to worry about it. But that's actually not at all what he was talking about. Joel in this passage was actually referring to lost souls. One commentary states that floors full of wheat refer to the churches in Judea and the Gentile world after Jesus ascended. You see, Joel was prophesying here, so he wasn't talking about his time specifically. He was talking about times to come. So, in this Gentile world, after Jesus ascends, it cross-references to Matthew 3.12, which is Matthew describing John the Baptist's ministry. And when he states in Matthew 3.11-12, through 12, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Whose fan, and I need, I need you guys to pay attention to this verse right here, whose fan is in his hand... And he will thoroughly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the garner, 
Lots of words that without context don't really make sense. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. So if we want to leave that verse up there, I'll dive into what it means here. With the context to what we read, Joel and John the Baptist are almost, it seems, prophesying together or prophesying about the same thing, about Jesus' ascension and what will come after he ascends. So when, when they say fan, this fan is the gospel, that after Jesus ascends, they will, we the disciples, we people of God, will fan this gospel and this doctrine. Then it says he will thoroughly purge his floor, meaning he will clean out the holy from the unholy. He will, he will separate what is good and what is bad. He will separate those that love him and those that do not. He will separate the wheat and the people who are called by God, his chosen generation or his chosen people, into the garner. And this garner, it refers to a place of protection or hiding in God. And the last part says, burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire, which is referring to the wicked, unholy people. He will burn them or show divine wrath to them. You see, when we live in this overflow, we stay under the protection of God's arms. We don't have to live in fear because he is gathering us into his corner. He's putting us in a safe place where we can, we can hide under the shadow of his majesty because he cares about us. And now the second part of Joel 2.24. Sorry, I'm jumping all over. But I do want us to get this because it is a crucial part of our lives and that if we can live in this overflow, we can see change in this city and in this region. So this, the last part of Joel 2.24 says, And the vats shall overflow with wine and oil. The second part of this verse talks about the overflow with vats and oil. And this wine that he talks about is referring to the doctrine. We will overflow with doctrine and we will spread the doctrine further. Like it says, we will fan the doctrine. It's almost like they're saying the same exact thing just in two different time periods. And the oil is referring to this true grace. So if we put it all together, we as apostolics overflow in true doctrine and true grace. And we receive these because we understand what it is. We cannot receive something we don't understand or else it would just be irrelevant. This verse, this verse cross-references to Romans 5.20 when it says, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. We might live in a sinful world, but because we operate in the overflow, we abound in an overflow of grace. We can live in a sinful world, but we can operate in the overflow. You see, position does not always equal power. Just because we are put into this sinful world does not mean we have to live in this sinful world. We have to live in a sinful world, but we don't have to operate in sin. We don't have to operate in destruction. We are called to a higher purpose where we can operate in the power and the presence of God. I go now to Luke 6.45 where it says, A good man out of the good treasures of his heart bringeth forth that which is good. And an evil man out of the evil treasures of his heart bringeth forth that which is evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaketh. Here we are presented with two choices or two options. A good man and an evil man. Both have treasures in their hearts and out of those treasures they bring forth what they have laid up. 
I have a question, and it's kind of pointed. What would we say if we spoke solely, and I'm talking to me myself too, what would we say if we spoke solely on the treasures we have laid up in our hearts? Would we speak life or would we speak death? Out of the abundance of the heart, the scripture says. So sure, we have good treasures laid up in our hearts, but which one is controlling us more? If we were to speak solely from the purpose and the things of our hearts, is the negative overflowing our hearts or is the positive overflowing our hearts? Because when we speak life and death, we cannot have an overflow of negative things in our hearts. We have to speak power and life with an abundance of good things in our hearts. When we have an overflow of good treasures, we can speak life. We can speak victory. We, we declare things. We can speak promise over people and we can speak blessings over people. But if we have an overflow of negative treasures, and hear me now, this can kill ministries. Because if we have an abundance of negative treasures, we speak death. We kill promises and callings on other people's lives. We encourage jealousy and hatred. And we cope with gossip and tearing others down, all because we have the wrong treasures laid up in our hearts. We cannot live in an overflow of the Spirit of God if we are harboring negative treasures. We cannot operate in spiritual anointing in our callings if we have not laid up treasures of value and integrity. How can God use our voice if he has to wonder what we will say because of what we have laid up in our hearts ourselves? Proverbs 18.21 reaffirms this statement by saying, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. We have the power to speak life and death. There are always two sides to the story. We have to live in the overflow so we can speak life to people, so we can speak blessings, so we can see their promises come to pass. You see, I'm going to pause right there. A, a good, when we have good treasures laid up in our hearts, we speak blessing. When we see other people pushing in their callings and their will for God in their lives, we are, we are happy for them. If we have negative treasures laid up, we see people on platforms and big conferences preaching, following the will of God. We harbor negative things. We speak bad about them. We talk bad behind their back. That is not how we live in the overflow. Living in the overflow would encourage that preacher and say, keep on going. It would encourage that saint to clean the bathroom. It would encourage that person to be a servant because we are all called to be servants. Sorry, I lost my place. If we really want to make a difference, we have to be a church that dwells in the overflow so we can win this war in the spiritual realm. It is, strictly, it is not strictly a fleshly battle or a fleshly war. It is a spiritual war. It is things in high places that we don't see with the physical eye. But when we dwell in the spirit of the Lord, when we dwell in that overflow, we can feel things break when we speak life and when we speak promise. Psalm 23 in verse 5 says, Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, and my cup runneth over. The anointing of the head here is imagery for the psalmist saying God has given him an abundance or an overflow of good things. Overflows lead to good things in our lives. They lead to happiness and satisfaction, peace and joy. Not just enough of it, not just enough to make our lives go by, but it says it, says it gives us an abundance and his cup runneth over. So it gives us an overflow of it. Just like John 10.10 10 states, The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. 
I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. God wants to give us life more abundantly and an overflow of life. Not life of things or the physical life, but life eternally with Jesus Christ forever. He came so that eventually we won't have to rely on an overflow because he is the overflow. He doesn't give us life that we dread or life that we hate. I read a commentary on this passage that said it, that when it's referencing um, life abundantly, it, means, it doesn't mean he's giving us life of things because when we have a life of things, it sets us up to destroy us because we are just pushing for things and things. And once we obtain those things, we are empty because things are not satisfactory to the spirit and the, the, the hole we feel inside because we don't have God in our lives. He doesn't give us, like I said, he doesn't give us a life that we dread or hate, but he gives us something to look forward to, something that we can experience if we stay in that precious overflow. We can see his glory and we can see heaven. Lastly, Mark 6, 17 through 18. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils and they shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents and if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. I want us to understand that the overflow is not just some place where it works for us, and once we reach this overflow, we should just stay stagnant. It is not a place of when we were working for the overflow just so we can stop everything that we've worked for and accomplished. Once we get into that overflow where we are so filled up with the Spirit of God that we can't contain it, we need to go out figuratively and spill it and hand it out, and we need to invest in pouring into others. You see, if we live in a constant state of overflow, we will have plenty for ourselves because there is so much we can't contain it for ourselves, so we have to go out. It's like this. I should have, I should have brought a cup. It's like this. If, if this was full and overflowing then it would be spilling out. But when we, when we take it from the overflow that we are figuratively in, when we dip it down and... It is dead. It is not dead. It is dead. <laughs> Check. Maybe that was God saying not to do this. Anyway... When we dip our, our figurative spiritual bottles down into the overflow, when we, dip, when we dip it and we fill it up, we have to keep passing it. We have to pour it out into the people who are empty because as we pour it into the people that are empty, we can come back because we're in a state of overflow. We can just keep filling it up and keep filling it up. We can go out and we can hand it out and it's the spirit of the Lord that we are giving out. We need to be the ones casting out devils and taking up serpents, laying our hands on the sick for them to recover. Because if we don't, who will? We have so much potential in this Connect Point Church to stay inside these four walls. We need to first tap into our own overflow and secondly, share with others so this region can see revival like never before. If we can all stand in this place. And lastly, I take our attention to verse 3, Matthew 3 and verse 12. Whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the garner, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. When the day of purging comes, I want to be found dwelling in the overflow of God's Spirit. 
When his people are called up yonder, I don't want it to be a shock to my friends and to my coworkers and that they have to go to a place in, in hell and eternity, an eternity where they don't want to be. I want it to be them that come with me because I stood in the overflow and I gave it to them. I experienced God's grace with them. And when this world tries to deceive the, our friends and our coworkers with fiery darts of the enemies of the enemy, I want the overflow to block and quench the darts so they don't stand a chance. Like I said before, it is the overflow is a blockade. It is a place of rest. The enemy cannot dwell in a, pl in a vessel that is overflowed with God's spirit. There is no room for the enemy to be. So now as we pray, can we pray that we can live our lives in the overflow with God? Lord Jesus, I pray that you would help us to dwell in this overflow. Thank you for listening to our podcast this week. We hope you enjoyed this message. Remember, if you would like to find out more information about our church or to contact us, please go online at connectpointupc.com. And also don't forget to subscribe in your podcast app so you will be automatically notified of new episodes. Thank you, and we hope you have a great week. Thank you.